Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Howdy, Space Cowboys. Welcome to the Bebop Tabletop Mechanical Rodeo. This week, we're taking a break from our usual format to reload our ammo, tune up our zipcraft, and net dive into the game system we've developed over the past 10 sessions. With me, as usual, are Michael and Leecho. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Are you guys ready to dive right in and pick apart all the things that we put together so far? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> it took 10 hours to make. I assume it'll take 10 hours to fix. Oh, here we go. <laughs> this is our longest episode in this series. <laughs> Twice as long as the actual series of the television show. We are, I think, actually, we are at parody, since each of our episodes is about twice as long as one episode of the anime. We are probably about as long, currently, as Cowboy Bebop, the TV show. So, congratulations. We've generated a lot of content. So, what you're saying is we watch... Uh, Cowboy Bebop the anime on one screen and then listen to our podcast on 2x speed and if you do it like that you'll be great yeah (laughs) it lines up perfectly like Pink Floyd and the Wizard of Oz that is correct Let's start this off. We're going to start talking about the Bebop tabletop system. Bebop tabletop is a role-playing game system which is built off of the seven standard dice. I don't know. Is there another phrase for that? Standard uh, polyhedrals. Polyhedrals, yeah. So it's a long way to go about it. <laughs> yeah. The seven sacred dice, which you must Ooh. go on a quest to acquire. <laughs> At to your friendly local game shop, yeah. We're building the Bebop Tabletop system off the same dice that a game like Dungeons & Dragons uses. In our case, we're going to be using them for all the roles that you could possibly need in our game. Another thing we're doing is that our game consists of two types of players. We have players that will take control of characters and run around in adventures and hopefully have a lot of fun. And we also have one player, uh, possibly multiple, but generally one player, will be the game master. This person will be responsible for generating the world, for running scenarios, and opposing the players in many ways. Basically, they're the ones that set up the story and the world and uh, help the players have scenarios to overcome and have, you know, keep them hungry, hopefully, at the end as well. (laughs) Now, that isn't to say that the regular players will not have any agency over the world or the decisions that are made. If you're playing like we intended, it's a collaborative storytelling game together. You guys will build the world. You will create the dangers and the story will unfold as the two, as all of you place your inputs into this kind of stew of ideas. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, but when you're all done, you'll have uh, you'll have had a fun time playing this game. Yeah, and uh, part of that collaborative storytelling 
begins begins in the very beginning when everyone's down at session zero and puts together the character sheets. We've had we've had two standard sessions so far where we've talked about what character backgrounds look like, and one of those pieces is players building in milestones for their characters as part of their character advancement. And so that's the that is the tell the signal for the game master to understand like hey this is this is the game i want to play and it's written on the sheet it's it's recorded (laughs) it gives it gives some ammo to help the game master put together some sessions and know what's going to be generally well received and helps everyone feel excited when something about their character story shows up and it's not just you know some some encounter out of left field which can be fun in its own right but you know everyone working together to decide what's interesting and come up with some novel stuff. Ultimately, yes. Everybody is trying to work together to have a good time. It's not game masters versus the players. It's not a... It's not necessarily an antagonistic position to be in. Generally, we're, we're all trying to have fun. I'm trying to min-max my space cowboy. I don't know about you. <laughs> all right, sad Spike Spiegel. <laughs> Let's talk about the phases of play. So this came about in our first podcast session, I believe, when we were talking about Asteroid Blues, we developed the loop of our game. So my expectation is that each loop of gameplay would represent one cycle through each of these phases of play. And each loop of this gameplay also represents like a single episode of the anime. More or less a single bounty hunt, a single episode, a single adventure. These five phases are not strict guidelines on how to run a game of Bebop Tabletop. The five phases sort of represent the cycle of the narrative of the game. So while you're in the hunt, you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, we're in the hunt phase now. While you're in the brief, you don't say, hey, we're going to begin the brief now. It's more like these are just the larger components of a session of Bebop Tabletop. These phases of play that we developed, we've been calling the brief, the hunt, the twist, the score, and the reckoning. Someone want to take the brief? Yeah, so this is the the very start we've seen in so many of the Cowboy Bebop episodes. You have Spike or Jet is pulling up on a computer terminal, you know, what they're up against. So in our game, you know, this is the crew learning out what the what the what the latest bounty is that they're chasing. Um, you know, in the show we saw plenty of different ways that the that the crew could get this information either from the TV show or from a past contact. And later on, as we get in the show, sometimes it's less concrete as a, as a bounty board and more like a personal character's uh, personal goal, personal bounty, so to speak. This is where they get some of their initial information and gives a hint as to what may come and how to prepare. Now, this will probably be the most work for the GM, giving a a hook that your players will want to follow. And keep in mind, it doesn't always have to be bounties. A lot of these episodes are not 
straight capture the bad guy sort of episodes. Send them to a casino, do a bank heist, go to an auction. There are plenty of ways to make this interesting. And the, the really, the sky's the limit in terms of what you can do and ways to keep your players engaged. The second stage of this loop, we're, we're calling it the hunt. When we talk about the hunt, we're talking about information gathering, casing the joint, in terms of getting a leg up on the competition. Your crew searches for where the target might be, There are many ways to find information on the target. So maybe you have police contacts, contact the police. Maybe you hack surveillance cameras. Maybe you go and find the nearby old man who's telling you his story of how he built the wall. And maybe he saw something he shouldn't have. Yeah, and I think uh, during the hunt, we will talk about it a little bit later. This, This could be a mix of two different types of encounters that we have been discussing throughout our previous episodes um, the you know either a, a skill check for maybe uh, s- some smaller acts of investigation you know, maybe we're trying to uh, decrypt some data file and there's some, perhaps some role associated with that or we're chatting with someone and trying to pry some information out of that and perhaps that's just a, a simple role for success when it comes down to it, I believe the hunt is the most creative part of the game. This is really where an individual player's creativity shines. If you can, you know, scrape metadata or if you can find the right thug, like that is far and away what can give you the biggest advantage, right? If you just go and go to the scene of the crime, that is one way to do it. But I mean, the world of Cowboy Bebop and any space western, it's so vast and so diverse, like, Loosen up a little bit. Do something weird. And if your GM is a good person, you'll get rewarded for it. Please be a good person, GM. Please. The third phase we call the twist. So, sometimes things don't go according to plan. Usually, right in the middle of doing something that you expect, something unexpected happens and changes the game. Maybe your target has more firepower than you expected. Or maybe another bounty hunter is coming and chasing after your target. This is called the twist. During the twist, something is introduced which escalates the hunt that you are engaged in. It might be something like your target has a pocket full of explosives that you didn't expect. Or... Maybe they have access to some data which can be used against you in some way. Maybe you just lose track of them somehow. The leads that you thought you had weren't as good as you were hoping. Uh, This is a moment in which the GM introduces complications to your plan. The crew has figured out your target, figured out where they're going to be, but something unexpected always happens in an episode of Cowboy Bebop, and this is where your GM introduces that thing. Maybe Spike has chased down the wrong person. And now when Spike encounters this person, Hakeem shows up at the shop and is not the person he was expecting. Uh, Maybe somebody comes in and kills your target before you have a chance to apprehend them. But it turns out that that person has an even bigger bounty on them. And now that's your new target. Throw away all your old info because we got a new game running suddenly. The twist is the moment where these exciting things happen 
where the GM kind of throws you a curveball that lets the players now have to deal with the resulting fallout. The hunt is probably the time where the players can be the most creative, but I believe the twist is when the GM has to be the most creative. Sometimes the twist is taken straight from the TV show, but you know, honestly, sometimes a twist can be that there is no twist. If your party wants to just play it straight all the time, you have uh, a strange party, I would say, but if they want to do it that way, you should uh, acquiesce to their demands. Let's start talking about the score. This is where a lot of the quick sequential dice rolling starts happening. The hallmark of this is the team's plan is starting to come together, or if there was no plan, you're just going for it. And this is where uh, we start using what we've been calling motivation trackers, uh, name pending. So these are these gauges that start filling. There's one for the party. There's usually one for the the hunty, and there's sometimes one for the world. Usually what we're doing is with, uh, with alternating activations, you know, different players and antagonists, we're um, taking turns performing actions in the narrative. So let's say our team of three hunters are hunting a single mark. One of the players will take a turn in the narrative. They'll... Um, um, they're running, and there's a an obstruction in front of them. So they need to advance past the obstruction somehow. It could be running over it, or diving under it, or smashing it to pieces. Um, depends on the player's execution and how they want to handle it. This is when they roll their dice, depending on what they do. Um, so this starts bringing in skills and abilities to do specific activities. And we'll start talking about that more a little bit later when we talk about our dice system. During this stage, it's less of a success and failure of a roll and more of a how well does it fill that motivation tracker. So if they're really good at doing something and they, you know, whatever the obstruction may be, um, if they roll a high number, that that tracker, that gauge for the entire encounter for your team goes up. And if they don't do very well, it still goes up, but not very much. And the Huntee has a chance to basically widen the gap between their success of getting away or whatever their goal is and the party's success of catching the Huntee or achieving whatever goal that they're trying to get to. One of the other items we talked about is you know what does what what does motivation tracker of the world mean sometimes things happen that neither party really wants to happen necessarily uh, we had an episode where the bebop crew was chasing a mark decker through it was an asteroid or a moon or some uh, some some small stellar body and the stellar body was starting to fall apart and fracture and explode that is the world. So every turn, no matter who does what, the world keeps on moving on. And if in that situation, if the gauge fills up, moon's gone, moon blows up, nobody wins. You have to deal deal with the reckoning. During the score, you also you might incur a bit of property damage. So Sometimes low rolls or unsuccessful rolls result in something getting damaged or a storefront getting damaged, uh, cars being destroyed, and that's going to come out of your pay, baby. Every episode of Bebop has a 
a moment where it all comes together and now we are in dire straits. The stakes are as high as they're going to get. That is the score. It's the action. It's the climax. It's where we get to do our fancy bebop moves. That is why we need a better name than Motivation Tracker. In the end of the score phase, somebody's gauge is full. And what that means is that whoever filled that gauge has accomplished their goal, whatever that goal might be. Sometimes the world has filled their gauge, in which case a terrible tragedy has occurred and you all have to deal with that. Sometimes it's possible that two gauges fill at the same time, and now that's up to your party and your table to creatively come up with a reason for both of these goals to have been accomplished and ultimately decide what happens to the story. This will set you up for The Reckoning. You've gone through your exciting encounter. You've managed to get your quarry before they could escape or the world could explode. It's time to figure out what are the consequences. Generally, the easiest answer is whoever's gauge filled up first, and that's what happened. The question is, is that is that a success? Is that a failure? Is your character dead? If you are truly unlucky, we have a system we call bottoming out. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Don't worry, you're probably not dead. But there will be consequences. When a player suffers a serious setback, or maybe takes a mortal wound, or runs out of fuel, or runs out of food, no more peppers in your bell peppers and beef, they have bottomed out. In our system, bottoming out is not death, necessarily, but it does mean you have to take some sort of permanent scar. So in the Bebop universe, we have Jet, who is missing a limb, Or maybe you have a character that is deathly afraid of cats now because they've come into some sort of catastrophe. Cut that. Don't do that. (laughs) Or maybe they've lost an important memory relating to their backstory. Something terrible has happened to them. This can be noted on your character sheet. This will be part of the story of who you are now. This is not all bad. So once your character bottoms out... The compensation for such a terrible thing happening is that maybe now you have a very specific skill that is related to this terrible experience and hopefully will allow you to avoid future mistakes from happening. On the other hand, when it comes to bottoming out, you might die. Death is not the end for you, of course, but your character might go out in a blaze of glory, or maybe not. Not all deaths are equal, you know? There are some that are unfortunate and some that are quick. I would say it's probably more of the social contract of your group. If you are comfortable with character death, you should go ahead and do it. There is a poignancy to it. However, if you don't agree on what should be done, respect your player's wishes, and if they would like to have some sort of setback, I think that would be the fairest situation for everybody. They can always come back in a full body cast next week. The Reckoning, if it has gone well for you, you are bound to get paid. Well, generally. I believe if you do a job well done, you deserve to get a reward. Now, the reward is always something that we are still kind of workshopping, whether it's straight money or whether it's a voucher to put to ship parts or possibly just upgrades to the ship or yourself if you've got an augmentation of some sort. These are all things that we are considering and that we haven't quite put our, uh, we have not quite 
penciled in or you know at least made it permanent into our into the journal just yet but a reward is coming of some sort i would say (laughs) people like shiny things so we will have to provide some shiny things nothing is shinier than gold that does wrap up the five phases that we've discussed again They're not strictly encoded phases that you have to hit every time and they have to be exactly done for X amount of minutes. It's more of a guideline. It's more of a a way to frame the narrative of your session. Going through these five phases, we hope, will be a, a fun, encapsulated mission for your Cowboy Bebop inspired crew and should leave you with a sense of closure Even if you don't die, at least you felt something has changed. Something has happened, and you have influenced this world. Maybe even made some money. You probably didn't. So let's talk about the encounter system. This takes place during the score section of your gameplay session. And this is where your motivation trackers come into play, and where most of your party will be rolling dice. In general, when an encounter begins, when when the score section starts and an encounter begins, the game master will set up at least two motivation trackers, one for the party and a second one for an antagonist. Usually as well, the world will have events going on and that will be a third motivation tracker. The way this will work is that each motivation tracker should represent a larger abstract goal. For example, the goal could be capture your target. Uh, Meanwhile, your antagonist, your enemy's tracker, would be saying something like, it could be something like, escape from the people chasing me. Or if they're more violently inclined, for example, it might be incapacitate and kill anyone that's chasing me. Your world tracker may be tracking something like the, the moon is exploding. Or something like, you've caused too much damage to the people around here and they're very mad at you. They should not be detailing very specific methods of accomplishing these goals. The tracker only measures the goal itself. So, how do you fill this goal? Yeah, sure. So, we talk a little bit about a scenario of, of jumping over a, <laughs> jumping over a barricade. Um, but uh, let's say it's a, a flight sequence, uh, you know, two, two oppo- opposing uh, zip craft. And propose for a moment that we have a flight skill, and it is uh, your, your, your player's uh, activation to make a move. They declare what they would like to do and what they would like to do for their action must fully fit within the confines of what a skill can do. To elaborate, if what I want to do is uh, fly as close as possible to the opposing zip craft, um, that would be a flight skill. And that fits wholly within a flight skill. We have skilled numbers that are associated with these various skills. Skilled numbers are associated with dice. So the base average person uh, skill that they could accomplish it was, would be a d4. d4 is the base. 
and then it increases in increments of the dice available in a standard seven polyhedral RPG dice pack that you'd get at your local game store. So it'd go from a D4 to a D6, a D8, 10, 12, and there is a 20, but it usually stops at 12. On the other end, there's a D2, which you could either do as a D4 cut in half, or you can flip a coin because that's fun. So in this situation, let's say I'm a better than average pilot, and I roll a D6. I roll my dice, and I get between a 1 and a 6, and that value is applied to the gauge. And it furthermore represents uh, you know, how, how skillful the action was. And if there is some you know, narrative exploration with that, um, it can be applied. So if I rolled the, my maximum, if I rolled the six, um, perhaps the narrative is driven such that, yes, I achieve more or less my goal of getting as close as possible to the opposing zip craft. If my roll was one, I still progress things forward, but you know, I, I there was some complication where my character um, maybe uh, maybe bumped something, or the opposing zipcraft took a turn and I went, they zigged and I zagged. And so, in this motivation tracker, usually it happens in the score phase. There will be opposing activations of, of of these skill checks, and it kind of a race to the finish to fill up the gauges. I like the idea, too, that these things can influence each other. For example, if you roll if you roll a, a hard one on your d6, that might give advantage to your enemy in some way, depending on how you describe what you did poorly. Oh, ultimately, even low rolls like a one still move mm-hmm. the story forward, and that's the key here. Moving from there, I think the last thing we wanted to touch was the character creation. When it comes to building a character, we decided that we should have three main pillars in the character creation process. Generally, all the characters in Cowboy Bebop, and often in, in Space Westerns, can be kind of summarized into three components. Generally, we discuss what is in their past. We talk about how the world has changed them, or how the world has betrayed them, or something happens in their life that makes them become a bounty hunter or become some sort of freelance worker. And then the last part is we talk about how these characters move forward. How do they carry that weight? In the same way, when you're thinking about creating your character, we want you to think about how this character fits into this world. What were they doing? How did the world change them? And how are they moving on? We can describe almost every character in the Bebop universe with those three pillars in mind. And as players, we expect that their own custom characters can also be explained the same way to give the same stories and vibe of the Cowboy Bebop universe. In addition, we can use these three pillars as the foundation of character skills. We discussed in a previous session that a character's past influences the kind of skills that they have currently. For example, Jet Black has a ISSP background, was was a police officer. So that affords him certain skills like weapon handling or investigation. In the same way, because he was a cop, he has multiple 
cop contacts. That's effectively useful for him to collect information from them, to get a one-up on bounties, that sort of thing. In lieu of traditional stats like strength or speed or charm or whatever, we're thinking something closer to other RPGs where they don't have traditional stats, but they tend to have proficiencies or more of almost like a checklist of skills they're good at. We think it'll give a little bit more of a a freedom in character creation, uh, and so that you can be great with guns, but you could also be great at yodeling or something. You don't don't pick yodeling. I don't know how that would work, but you have the option to. We'll probably have a list, most likely, of various skills you can look into, and we'll probably divide it between types of skills so that you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket unless you really want to. And from there, you'll have an idea of what you want your character to do. Keep in mind, your character won't be able to do it all, so hopefully you'll have a party who will split up tasks a little bit. But in the end, you could all just be Ayn and adorable as heck, you know? I've maximized my floofiness stat. Mm. With that, that is our Bebop tabletop system as it stands right now. Of course, there are a lot of holes in it still, we're just beginning to do some play tests to see how things hold up. I think we have the beginnings of a lot of good ideas. We still need to polish them and we still need to really put them to paper. But the the major omission that we currently have is the ship. I think we need to talk a little bit more about space and traveling or at least, you know, what the ship brings to the, the table. And we have plenty of time to to talk about this, but it is something that I want to keep in the back of our minds at the very least. In addition, we still need to talk about specific skills. We've brought up a handful of them, but we've not yet enumerated what these skills are. I think as we go through future episodes of the television show, we'll see specific skills play out from characters or from, well, from characters that we know or from future characters. And we can then apply those into our system to see what other things can players do. What what other things can we expect to see in future episodes, Lee Joe? We have a, we still have lots to talk about, and some of it is directly involved in the game, and some of it is just kind of periphery. Uh, one could talk about just the overall setting of the future and the space western. We can talk about the politics of everything. And of course, you know, again, we could talk about more about space travel. We can talk more about social contracts between players. For better or worse, there is a lot to talk about. Something else we'll probably want to talk about is that there are several Cowboy Bebop-inspired RPGs that we'd like to take a look at and compare what we've done to what these other games have done. Mostly just to see, you know, how, how did they interpret the world? How did they look at this show and turn it into a game to be played on the table. And I'd, I'd just love to see how we took a different tack or even where we've taken the same idea. In, in future episodes, we will have some guests on to playtest our alpha build of this game. But I think one thing I want to stress, I want to make a game that embodies the feel of Cowboy Bebop. And if we're just playing generic space western uh, RPG number, you know, 302, that's not quite a 
a victory or a, a product I'll be proud of. I'm excited to see how the playtests go out as well. And honestly, if you are listening to this right now and you're interested in playing this game with us, reach out to us at Bebop Tabletop and we'll talk to you. Maybe we'll send you over a copy of the document as it stands at that point and hear back how you like what you've played at your table. On the other hand, if you are listening and you hate something about this game or particularly you think we're misguided in some way, we'd love to hear that too. I mean, we may not agree with you, but, you know, all critique is welcome. So with that, we are wrapping up our very first Bebop Tabletop Rodeo. Bebop Tabletop is going on a quick holiday break. And we plan to be back early next year to bring you some more Bebop goodness, some more game design plans, some more playtesting, some more, just more, really. And we hope that you're excited to go along on this journey with us. We have one small favor to ask of you. If you're still listening to this podcast and you've liked what you've heard, give us a review on your platform of choice. I know Apple has reviews. Spotify is opening up reviews slowly as well. Let us know what you think. It really helps us beat the algorithm, helps us spread the word about Bebop and Tabletop. Share this with your neighbors and your friends. Neighbors. Heidi ho neighborino, you know? Uh, (laughs) And for those who have been following us on Twitter at Bebop Tabletop, we just want to express our thanks, and we are excited that you're excited about this, and we will continue to try to keep you updated not only with various tabletop RPG news, but we will also try to really keep you informed of further releases or anything, you know, Bebop related. And of course, we are always happy to respond to any comments or criticisms. So just, uh, you know, get at us. Get at us hard. No, don't get us hard. Get, <laughs> just get at us. <laughs> get in the comments. Finally, we have one bit of sad news. Uh, This will be Michael's last session as a full-time host of the show. We know this isn't goodbye forever, since we'll be seeing you around, helping with the design and in future sessions and playtests. But uh, I just want to say sincerely thank you for hanging out with us and jamming with us and hacking together this weird beast we've put together. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fun time. I enjoyed working on it, and uh, I I will be closely monitoring (laughs) your progress. (laughs) Well, I guess that's... One last see you, Space Cowboy, for now. <laughs> it's all yours. See you, Space Cowboys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. Do we want uh, do we want to talk about things that we still need to talk about or, uh, you know? I guess yeah. Actually, that that's pretty good as a a way to tease future episodes, right? Yeah, because that's not bad. Again, I don't know who listens past the thirty minute mark, but <laughs> someone does. Somebody keeps um, listening. Yeah. <laughs>